broken humans. But we'd like to become wise humans. And we ask that you would impart to us the wisdom of God now. In Jesus' name, amen. If you look on your worship folder, um, you'll see on there that I gave you a number of scriptures from Proverbs. Uh, for the next few weeks, we are looking at, at themes that run through the book of Proverbs. And today, our theme you're going to see as we read these verses together. So let's, we'll just begin right from the beginning. I like it when you read with me. So we'll start with the first one, and we'll read all the way to the last one together. Let's read God's word. Whoever is slow to anger has great understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. A tranquil heart gives life to the flesh, but envy makes the bones rot. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit than he who takes a city. Good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. A man of great wrath will pay the penalty, for if you deliver him, you will only have to do it again. Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. And if he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For you will heap burning coals on his head, and the Lord will reward you. All right, we'll see now, if you're paying attention, what's our theme today? Three of you got it. All right, that's good. At least three of you got it. Okay, so... Here we are at this place where we're, we're saying that the wisdom of God, if it's in you, will give you both understanding and the ability to handle and manage your anger. Now, when Solomon asked for wisdom, he asked that God would give him the ability to discern between what was right and what is wrong. Now, if everything that you need and every decision that you make were a moral decision, then Solomon did not need to ask God for wisdom because he had the law of God. And he could have merely gone and said, okay, here is the moral law, so if I just do what is moral, I will be okay. No, Solomon is saying, and the Bible is teaching, that most of your decisions, most of your most important decisions, are neither moral nor immoral. They are the distinction between not only what is right and wrong in a moral sense, but what's right and wrong in a very moment-by-moment -moment sense. For example, as I've said before, you could be offered two jobs that are moral, that are both 
fine in terms of morality, but one job is going to give you a life that just causes you to be in anxiety and agony, and the other job will cause you to flourish. You could have two people that you're choosing to be friends with or that you're choosing to marry, and both of them are moral. They're both Christians. They're both, you know, in every way suitable, except one is going to be a life of, of in, you know, just intolerable suffering, and the other is going to just be perfect for you. So wisdom isn't merely the idea that I, I, I learn what's moral and what's immoral and I stay away from the immoral. Wisdom is being able to distinguish not only between good and bad, but good, better, and best. And when it comes to anger, many of us are kind of these all-or-nothing people. You know, we're either, we're either those people that we just blow up and blurt out our anger and, you know, we're like geysers just shooting off all, all of the anger that we have. And then, and then we say to people, well, at least I'm honest. Yeah, you're a pain in the neck, honest. And you're full of it. You're not really honest. You're not really honest. And you're not in control of yourself. See, what these scriptures that I've given to you says that where there's a blow-up anger, it's not wise. You may say, well, at least everybody knows what I'm feeling. Yeah, and, and nobody wants to be around you. Because there's an explosive quality to anger. There's an explosiveness. Anger, according to the scripture, is like dynamite. It's a dangerous kind of power. It, listen to what, and even here it says, it, it talks about how the passion which for some reason in ESV they translate envy, but the, the word there is, a, is like the word rage, the passion, the temper. It says the temper that's in you will rot your bones. Here's, a, here's an interesting study that I, I saw a number of years ago, is that the research on heart attacks among males is they found out that most males that died from a heart attack had had an argument with their wife two hours before. Or they had had arguments with their co-workers or with their boss. Or they had had arguments with their children. And what they found is that anger produces an adrenaline that if that adrenaline is not released from your body, stays in your body and causes damage to the heart organ. Isn't that fascinating? The Bible almost, I mean, we're talking two millennial, 2,500 years ago, is telling you that there is a physical effect. There is a dangerous effect to your anger. So, yeah, you're being honest, but you're killing yourself. You know, I just have a bad temper. My father had a bad temper. My grandfather had a bad temper. I'm just a bad-tempered man. Stop that right now. Cut it out. It's bad for you. It's bad for you physically as well as spiritually. It's a dangerous power. I want you to, I want you to take your righteous finger, okay? Poke somebody fun, in a fun way, not an angry way. And say, your anger has dangerous power. Okay? Now take that same finger and point it at your own heart. My anger has dangerous power. 
You know, God is not trying to take away something good from you. He's trying to keep you from something dangerous. Now, let me just show you a few things from these scriptures. Are you tracking with me? All right, because I'm going to get angry if you don't. <laughs> this scripture says a number of things. Just, I'll list them out for you. Community, the Bible says, is disintegrated by anger. Words are thrown around like weapons. I mean, think about how many of us were told this stupid cliche. Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words can never hurt me. My bones heal, the words stay with me. I can still remember some of the things that were said to me in the playground. Because I had a funny name, Plunkett. So everybody goes, pumpkin, punker, punkit, flunkit, flunker, punk. I mean, I can remember every single one of them. And as a little kid going, I hate my name. I wish it was Smith <laughs> or Joan. Yeah, you understand? Words stay with you and wounds. Your words, no matter how insignificant you think you are, anger makes you powerful. And your words that come from anger, you can't take back. It destroys and disintegrates community. It disintegrates your ability to make wise decisions. When you get the clarity that comes from anger, it's a deception. You will have courage from anger to say what you would not say in love to someone. Anger makes you into a fool. How many times have you said, you got it off your chest, and a little while later you go, why did I say that? Oh, that was so foolish. Because you are a fool. Everything gets distorted through anger. What you think is clarity with anger is actually distortion. And the other thing is, anger destroys your will. Look at this scripture. It says, don't go and rescue an angry man. Here's what it says. If you rescue him, you will have to do it again and again. Why is that? Because anything that powerful has an addictive quality to it. So, in other words, anger destroys the willpower of a person. So that, that what they do, they do over and over again, and they keep even maybe saying, why do I keep doing that? Why do I keep doing that? The interesting, too, is that anger, like all substance abuse, leads to denial. I'm not really angry. I'm not really angry. That's just my voice. That's just the way. That's just the way. You ever been around people who don't think they're angry, and you're like, man, just the way you talk is angry. Just the way you express yourself. I remember... I was in a marriage counseling, and, and the wi a wife was saying to, to me, to her husband, saying, he's just always angry. And he goes, no, I am not. <laughs> you know, and the, the interesting thing is, is, is what happens is that the anger has to feed anger. So you begin to justify it, and you begin to excuse it. You can't, you can't, you can't, you know, if you're angry and you don't want to admit that you're angry and you're addicted to anger and you don't want to quit being addicted to it. You can't just say, I was wrong. You have to keep defending where you are wrong. 
And you have to keep excusing it. And so in, in order to keep up this illusion, this fiction that, that you, are the, you are the fully justified, that of all people you have a right to be angry, you have to keep getting more and more angry. You know, you're always the slighted one. You're always the offended one. You're always the one left out. You're always the one, woe is me. I'm a worm. I'm going to eat some dirt. You know, you just have to keep getting angrier and angrier. It's very addictive, friends. This is what the Bible's saying, is that it has a dangerous power. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to confuse you a little bit here, is... The Bible also says it has a beauty to it. I, I've missed this in, in a lot of my studies until I came to Proverbs and looked and said, oh my goodness, I missed this. Because I, I've, I've been so tuned into the destructive power, I've never seen the beauty of it. Or, or stay with me, okay? Look at this. Whoever is slow to anger is better than the mighty. Okay, it's saying there's a place for anger. Because it's saying slow to anger, not blow anger, but slow anger. And he who rules his spirit, then the one who takes the city, good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is his glory to overlook an offense. In Ephesians 4.26, it doesn't say never be angry. It actually says be angry, but sin not. As a matter of fact, then, then what we're really talking about is actually a sin to never be angry. It is a sin. You got to try. I know it's early. But you had your bagel and your coffee. All right. It is, it is a sin to never be angry. Some of you come from a culture in Christianity or you come from a traditional culture where they always said, don't be angry, you know. Hide your anger. Refrain from your anger. Constrain your anger. No, it's not biblical. It's not biblical. And if anyone's ever said to you, a Christian, a spirit-filled Christian is never angry, punch them in the face and see how angry they get. In Jesus' name. Why do I say that? Well, because there was a preacher, probably one of the greatest Christian preachers of all time, was a, a, a man in the early church called John Chrysostom. And he wrote this. He said, he that is angry without cause sins. But he who is not angry with cause sins. He or she who is not angry when there is just cause for anger sins. Now, he says it in Latin, and I won't make you learn Latin. But what he, say, he says is this, anger looks to the good of justice. If you can live amid injustice without anger, then you are unjust. Are you hearing me? There's a beauty to anger. How, there's another way that I know that there's a beauty to anger, because the glory of God is that he is slow to anger. Now, when Moses asked God, show me your glory, so when that happened, God showed him what he wanted him to see. And one of the things that is revealed there is in the revelation of God's glory, he says, I am the Lord your God, slow to anger. 
So anger is actually a part of the very character and nature of God. So there is a beauty to anger. You never say, I am a God who is fearful. You never hear him say, I'm a God who is anxious. You never say, you know, I am a God who is depressed. But you do see him when he reveals his character, that he is a God who is slow to anger. So anger is a part, and anger had a purpose that was beautiful. Now, in some ways, there are people who want to say that the God they serve has no anger whatsoever. I would say this. If you have a God who has no anger, then you have a God who doesn't know how to love. Because really and truly what anger was originally intended for was the defense of love, the protector of love. When, when you really get down to it, the opposite of love is not anger. The opposite of love is hate. And the highest form, or the, the, the lowest form, you might say, of hate, the ultimate form of hate is indifference, not anger. When you are angry at somebody, you still care. When you no longer care, you hate that person. Come on. You see what I'm saying? See that without, without love, you just don't care anymore. Some of you have gotten to that place or, or have, have had relationships where the hate was we no longer care. You can do whatever you want and it won't matter to me because I, you are no longer important to me. A friend of mine that his life just completely went, uh, just a wreck of a life. Good guy. I loved him in college. Uh, one day, uh, I was in Atlanta pastoring a church. He saw my name on the sign for the church. He's driving by, and he goes, I, I wonder if that's the guy I knew in college. And uh, so he stopped into the church. And, uh, and, he, and I said, what happened to you? He said, well, I've lost everything. And I said, can you tell me the story? And he said, well, I, I married a woman who already had two kids, two teenage kids. And I married her, and I know what he was trying to do. He was going to be the hero. He's going to save this woman who had these two teenage kids. And, and instead, he said, what happened was I just got to where I didn't care about her anymore. Because I couldn't be the hero. I just became indifferent. He told me a story. He said, every year I would buy her a Christmas present. And every year she would take that Christmas present back and get something else. He said, eventually, just to show her that I didn't care, I'd walk into the store and just pick the first thing off the rack and say, here, I know you're going to take it back anyway. Now, what was happening was anger wasn't working. Change wasn't happening, so he got to the place where he became so indifferent. And he even explained to me that it made him open for affairs with others. See, in some ways, there's some love that's still there if a person can make you angry. But if there's indifference, there's no love at all. There's hate. So a lot of us have misunderstood anger. We've misunderstood the the, the purpose of anger, the beauty and the purpose of anger is that it defends and protects love. In some ways, anger is love in action when it's in its right place. I mean, some of the examples of that 
or Jesus himself, in vivid terms, is told to us that he grew angry. As a matter of fact, his anger was so powerful that when he went and cleansed the temple, they let him cleanse the temple. They got out of his way. But the question, see, is, is what is your anger defending? See, if, you're, if you will trace back and say, why am I angry? Then you will know what it is your heart truly loves. Because that which you love, you will defend. And anger is the way that we defend what we love. So the big question that the Holy Spirit works on in our lives is, am I defending that which is worth defending? So anger for all of us goes wrong. It goes awry. In verse uh, 28 of chapter 24, it says, Be not a witness against your neighbor without cause, and do not deceive with your lips. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay that man back for what he has done. Um, anger that happens in most of us is often inappropriate or not in proportion to the cause. For example, I actually, and maybe I shouldn't laugh at this, but I have seen people want divorce because one put the toilet paper up and the other wanted the toilet paper down. And they come in and say, he never, ever does this the right way. I'm sitting there going, you're going to get a divorce over the orientation of the tissue in your bathroom? Or I had someone come in one time and say to me, for 40 years, for 40 years, I have made this man the perfect cup of coffee I have laid it out for him every morning. Does he notice? No. And couldn't he just once make a perfect cup of coffee for me? You see, what happens is we get angry over causes that are not worthy of our anger. We use our anger and it makes us look like fools. Why are you so angry over that? Be and, and generally speaking, is that our lives are so disordered that we will yell about the peripherals when really what we need are the essentials. If, if, if you could understand clearly what sin is, sin can be described this way. You have legitimate needs. You have core intimacy, emotional needs. You have things that can only, only be satisfied in relationship. But because we live in a broken society, we live in a broken church, we live in a broken family, those core needs are not easily met. And you have learned some very terrible patterns and habits of meeting your needs. So sin becomes trying to meet legitimate needs in these illegitimate ways. Or if you go back further to one of the great theologians of the church, St. Augustine, he said it this way, sin is basically disordered love. In other words, what you love is out of order. What you've invested in, what you've given yourself to is out of order. And because your heart is disordered in its love, it's angry about the wrong things. Now let me give you 
some more about that. We basically have disordered in this way. We've turned things into ultimate things. The satisfaction that only God can give is attributed to something that is not ultimate and not able to sustain you. Then our emotions become magnified and uncontrollable. If you listen carefully to current pop love songs, okay, they are worship songs, but they are worship of things and people who are not ultimate. I have, I, I have a wonderful wife. I mean, I love her. I think the world of her. But if I make her ultimate, I take my wonderful wife and I make her a dumb idol. I receive joy in my marriage. I receive love. But the source of that love and the source of that joy is not my marriage. The source is God. God doesn't just have love. He is love. And every time I experience love from Lisa, my wife, it tells me there is a source beyond her who is ultimate. But if I make Lisa my ultimate, she will fail me. If I magnify her to a position that she cannot sustain, I will be angry with her. You see, if you listen to those love songs and believe love is what those love songs said, then your girlfriend, your boyfriend, your husband, your wife, your friends all have to be God. And they cannot and will not be God, and you will be angry and disappointed with them. When you disorder your love, your heart becomes filled with disordered anger. Is this making sense? I mean, right now I think it's incredibly brilliant, but I'm hoping that you're, I'm really hoping you're, you're tracking with me on this. So in other words, in other words let, me, let, me, let me put it in three terms for how, how anger goes wrong. How it goes from beauty to distortion. One is, when you're angry over a distorted cause that comes out of your disordered love. See, when you and I are not affected by true issues, but we get overwhelmed by slights. In other words, what, we mean, what happens is someone or something is blocking what you believe or presume you deserve. I, I'll just reveal my own heart in this. When I get really tired and stressed, I get disordered. What I love, what I'm angry about. And, and, what, and I, the way I know it is that traffic bothers me. I begin to say words in Spanish that I should not say. Okay? Now, if I trace that back and look at that carefully, is traffic ever going to change in this area? Aren't people going to keep running the red lights? When it's my turn to go, aren't they still going to take my turn? I mean, a, a sane person knows you don't have control over the other idiots on the lane. Okay? But when you're disordered, you begin to get angry at them. You begin to fume at it. And you begin to, you know, you begin to, your temper begins to rise. And you, you know, and you, you don't give them the righteous finger. Okay? All right, now, track with me on this. What are you defending at that moment? 
the law of the land, oh, they are committing cosmic treason against the traffic laws. No, because most of us drive 10 miles over the speed limit. We don't really care about the law. What are, what are we really defending? How dare they cut me off? How dare they take my place? Come on. You see, what am I saying? I'm saying they don't realize how important I am. So I, here I am in my little car saying, king of the world. What a delusion. Right? Their usurping my place makes me want to say, I am important. I need to defend this. Instead, we go, you know what? I'm okay. That's, you know, my driving my car and them, them taking my place doesn't change one thing about my value, my acceptance. Doesn't change a thing about how safe I am in Jesus. Doesn't change one ultimate thing, but now I've given my emotion to something that's not, I've made something ultimate that's not ultimate. And so then what we see is that it gets distorted out of proportion. And, and what we have then is a distorted goal. When, when you have a disordered anger, it goes after the person, not the problem. In other words, even if a parent, as a parent, you see my child has something in them that is wrong. You, you go after what's wrong, not the child. But when you're distorted, you go after the child as if the child is wrong instead of the behavior. And, and this happens in homes all the time. Like some people will blow up at a child who drops their milk and just say, oh, or, or have, have it out with a child who gets a bad grade. Why? Because it makes me look bad or because it inconveniences me or because, you know, I'm going to fail as a parent, not because of the child. See, so often we allow our children to be rebellious because we can't be bothered to really deal with the real issues. But we will go after their mistakes like, like it's God's own wrath on them. See, we get distorted causes. And here's an interesting thing is every single level of anger affects you. Like there are things at the lowest level that irritate or bug you. But you don't deal with those things and you don't get at... Why do I get so angry at this? If you don't deal with those, then when the big things come, things like betrayals and when people let you down and disappoint you, then what will happen is everything will receive the same amount of wrath from you, whether it's big or small. As a matter of fact, I think a lot of times what happens is we begin to attribute things. If, if say, you're of one race and another race you know, someone from another race offends you, then you, you then attribute everything to the whole race. Or if one gender offends you, and then all of that gender is now, is now subject to your wrath. See, everything, you see where people are angry and it's distorted, what you can always see is they have unprocessed, undealt with, low-level things, then they cannot deal with the high-level things, and most people live with a low-level anger with God. Because they basically say, why does life have to be so hard? 
Why do I have to go through what I'm going through? God, can't you change this? And when he doesn't, then you just go, hooey on you. Well, how do we, are you tracking with me so far? How do we deal with these things? Well, you can hear the music playing, so I have to do this quickly. I brought you to the point of diagnosis. Now I have to give you, I want to give you a little bit of how do I, how do I get healed? The first thing is, and, and see, I think that even if you think you're a nice person, there's anger there. I don't know how you live. There's no way you can live in this world and not have anger. And if you don't have your, think you have anger, come up here for a little while. I'll irritate you enough to where you will get angry. And we'll have to deal with it. See, what happens, the Proverbs says, when anger is hidden, you will come after the people as if you're not angry. You see, because when you've lived your whole life using anger to defend you, even if it's hidden anger, you've used your whole life with anger to defend you, to actually admit that you're angry is an act of vulnerability. It is one of the most fearful things to really say, okay, I've been using anger as my defense, and now I'm going to lay that down and be vulnerable. And the only way that you can do that is if you know that God is not angry with you. The second thing is, is really to begin to say, analyze your anger. Look, look at what the Proverbs says. I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. In other words, what, what the wisdom of the ages has said to us is that we have self-talk. And our self-talk, generally speaking, when it is, it is in some ways power sourced by anger, our self-talk is... I'm going to do to you before you do to me. Or I'm going to do to you so strongly that you will never do to me again. And Proverbs says what that does, if you analyze it, what that does is it's killing you. And it's killing your relationship. See, what you say to yourself, really and truly, your anger doesn't come from what people have done to you. It's what you believe about what they've done to you. It's what you believe about yourself. It's, it's this question begins to ask, what really am I defending? And almost always, and I would say always with distorted anger, you are defending you, your own ego, your own self-esteem. There was a, there's a story, this guy was telling a story, and it kind of caught me uh, in, a, in a good place. It said that, you know, he was, at the, he was at a restaurant, and he only had 20 minutes to eat, and the waitress was moving slow. So he began to get fuming angry with the waitress. And he just, he wanted to tell that waitress off. You're not moving fast enough. I only have 20 minutes. You need to get my food out. And, he, and it, you know, he's a preacher, so it's not so easy to do that. And so he thinks to himself, he says, why am I really so angry with this woman? And then he realized, why I'm angry is because I didn't plan my day well. I only have 20 minutes to eat. I scheduled my day in such a way that I didn't leave enough time so that I could eat, and now I'm going to be late to the meeting. What I'm really defending is I don't want people to know how bad a planner I am. And so I'm taking it out on the waitress, but really the issue is me. You see, if you go back and go underneath and you begin to acknowledge, I have anger, and you begin to analyze it, you will see that at the heart of your anger, distorted anger, is your own ego. And in order, to, in order to overcome it is you have to begin to transform your ego into dependence, reliance, and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And begin to say, okay, look at, look at what 
Proverbs says, the gentle answer turns back wrath. If your enemy is, is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him drink. This, this is counterintuitive in every way. Any of you who have teenage kids, you've had this happen to you. Your kid comes up to you at some point and says, I want to go do this, or I need money for this, or whatever, and you say to him, no. And that kid, enraged, will say often to you, you don't love me, you hate me, I hate you, you've never done anything for me. You know, and at that point, you get to decide, are you going to be, are you going to be of God, or are you going to be of your ego? And, you know, so some people, what they do is they withdraw from their children, and they just say, okay, I'm not going to enter into this. But by withdrawing, they have, they have hurt their child. Other people say, look, i got 30 years on you. I can, I can outdo your anger any day. I can make you afraid of me. And so instead of being slow to anger, they blow in anger. And the child says, man, I better never tell dad that again because dad will take, you know, beat me within an inch of my life or whatever. Again, that's not what Proverbs says. Proverbs says that's going to rot your bones and hurt your child. So what's, what's wisdom's way? Well, the Bible says we're all like teenage children in rebellion against God. That we say to God all the time, you don't love me, you hate me, I hate you, I rebel against you, I don't care about you, I'm indifferent to you. And you know what Jesus does? He absorbs our wrath. He absorbs it. When he was, when he was uh, accused and tried, he didn't defend himself. When he was taken to the cross, he could have called down 10,000 angels. He chose not to. He absorbed our teenage anger. See, when God, and, and if you don't believe that we as humans have that much anger, then when God was killable, why, why then did we kill him? Because we're teenagers in anger. He absorbed our anger. But not only that, he absorbed the anger of God that should be ours. See, what I, I began to realize is I can transform my anger into something beautiful instead of something distorted when I learned that I don't need to protect my ego. I don't need to protect myself at all. I can't even absorb the anger, the criticism, the, the hurt of others. And Jesus said this on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. A gentle answer turns back wrath. I ask, you, I ask you two things today. One, will you put your faith that Jesus has already absorbed all his, your anger and he's absorbed in his own body the anger and wrath that was due to you? And then secondly, will you transform in your heart and say, I'm sick of my distorted anger and it comes out of my disordered love. And instead of loving yourself and your position and making things that are not ultimate ultimate make a decision today that he's the ultimate one will you stand with me i'm sorry it took too long but i really like this stuff i really believe friends we live in a culture of anger everywhere i go if you want to make friends at the grocery store just be angry with people just tell them how Oh, can you believe how expensive things are? And they'll be your friend. Can you believe how slow this line is? Oh, yeah, every week it's like this. And they'll be your friend. 
Can you believe how messy the store is? Yeah, it's like this all the time. And suddenly you're intimate, but you're intimate around anger. We live in a society of anger. What I'm asking of you is counterculture. Instead of beating your enemies, feed your enemies. Instead of destroying your enemies, save your enemies. That's what Proverbs is saying. Even as you're watching TV, instead of getting all angry and distorted over things you cannot change, look at people the way Jesus looks at them. Look at the nations the way that Jesus looks at them. He laid down his life not just for you, but for the whole world. Where he could have had wrath, he had love. Where he could have brought revenge, he gave forgiveness. He absorbed your anger, and he absorbed God's anger for you. Can you not absorb the anger of your children, absorb the anger of your marriage, absorb the anger of our community and say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And can't we change the world by having ordered love and the beauty of anger to protect that love? Lord, would you let us hear this and really take it to heart now? In Jesus' name, amen. Would you give about three or four hugs before you go and, and uh, love on each other and tell them I'm not angry with you anymore.